So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking with Tom Fazio, and I really like Tom. He's super sincere. He has walked a very deep path around this work. So we'll talk about weightlessness. What is weightlessness? And what happens when people access a sense of weightlessness? Tom's going to talk about his journey, about how he's training with the martial arts and Qigong and meditation led to this discovery, this this prolonged experience of weightlessness. And I think it's such an important topic because we are increasingly, as a species, being invited to find our center, our sense of presence, flow, our greatest contribution under stress points. And there are many of those in the world right now. And so this is conversation is not just about peak performance on a superficial level. It's a, it's a, on the deepest level of who am I and where am I sourcing myself from in each and every moment? And how can I expand and make increasingly available those moments where I'm unburdened, I'm free, I'm in flow, I'm giving my greatest creative potential, I'm, I'm loving, I'm in a loving, compassionate place, all those qualities, I'm, I'm sourcing myself from wholeness. That's what we're going to talk about in this conversation today, this journey towards weightlessness. So without further ado, oh yeah, actually there is a further ado. You can find out more about Tom's work at weightlessness.co. I'd love it if you leave a review for this podcast or if you share this podcast and you can find out more about the podcast and the work we do at coachesrising.com, the offerings we have for coaches there. So now, without further ado, here's Tom Fazio. We're going to talk about your work and weightlessness and what led you to develop this work? Because I think that's really relevant in this conversation. Right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll try to do the abridged version. Um, my, I've got a background in martial arts about 30 years or so. Uh, and I, I was a, a pretty you know, voracious learner in that camp for uh, a, number, a number of years. Well, still am off and on in that world. But um, for me, that was my entrance into the types of things that I'm doing now. Weightlessness evolved from my martial arts practice, but it was a type of thing where I, I trained for about 10 years. Uh, I was, who knows what peak is, but let's just say I had plateaued for a while and had really taken a lot of the meditative and uh, meditative martial and strength and conditioning practices uh, to a pretty high level. I was teaching already at the time. Uh, this is way, you know, back in college, like in late nineties type of thing. Um, well, no, a little bit after early two thousands and, you know, I, I'd, there's a tremendous number of skills that come through those practices, the meditation, the technical and foundational training, the structural training, the, the flexibility. And, um, I, I felt like I was on the cusp of, of seeing something bigger and I'd had the tools, but none of my teachers were able to kind of consolidate that information well, I thought. And even the way that it's taught, even the way a lot of the skills are taught in martial arts, they're not really integrated in a way that you can take them beyond 
the martial arts. I mean, it really takes a long time to internalize some of the key principles, the structural elements, the stuff that, you know, makes life better, not just, you know, helps you out on the street or in competition or something like this. Um, and, and at the time, before I had traveled much, I was still a bit of a romantic in terms of martial arts. I believed, uh, you know, in a lot of kind of the Eastern classical traditions and, uh, and skills. And, and it was odd, but I found this comic book uh, in a library that I'm sure is long out of print. And it was one of these things where uh, it had these old classical, uh, you know, Chinese Shaolin training methods. It was a picture, literally a picture book with only like one or two paragraphs per uh, per image. And, you know, these practices were like, and this is how you acquire lightness skills. And this is how you walk on water. And it was a very silly kind of comic book. Right. Um, but you know, I'd seen all the movies and I'd practiced a lot and I was very, very open. I'm just curious. I found this book. So I'm going through it. And one of the, the sections was on lightness skills, uh, and the old classical, you know, the Chinese term would be Qing, Qing Gong, lightness training. Uh, and, it is still something that's practiced, though not very often today. You can still find masters of Qinggong if you search hard enough in China. Um, but it's a very advanced skill that essentially cultivates the skill of sensations of lightness in, in body and mind. But the idea is it would be used for combat or it would be used for exceptional types of long distance running or you know, stuff like this. Um, you know, leaping 10 feet in the air, quote unquote. Uh, but I had already trained a lot. I'd, I'd used ankle weights for a number of years. Uh, I was doing very well with the strength and conditioning and all these things. But there was a line, uh, a couple of lines in this paragraph. I was looking at the image. I read the lines and it struck so deep. Like, this is, this is real. Like this, I, I can't speak about all the, you know, the more mystical elements. But this, this line resonated in a way that I was like, this is something that I, I feel this and I've been missing this in my training. And it was a way of, of essentially coordinating breath with movement and also against resistance over time. It was a very simple premise. Um, but I took that, it really stuck with me. After I graduated from college, I wound up going to, to Thailand for, for a little while. And I lived uh, kind of in a hut in, uh, in Copangan, in the island of uh, Pangan in the jungle and I just trained and I just, you know, five hours a day I was training and practicing martial arts and trying to essentially incorporate some of this stuff and recreate some of the stuff that oddly enough I found in the comic book. Uh, it feels weird. I don't talk about this much. It feels weird telling it now, but I just didn't, you know, it just well, made sense at the time. Can, yeah. can I just say some, I, lo I love hearing about this because I, I, one of the things I'm passionate about and with my clients is, um, what wants to be born through us, you know, in, in, mm. in this lifetime and that sometimes we, we're touched by something, you know, and it can be even through art. Like this comic book was art in some right. way. And, and, and it, you read that, you saw that, and that there was something about that message that, that, that touched you and had yeah. you want to go out and, and give yourself to that endeavor, you know, this idea of lightness. And so, I think it's exquisite because it, because it, th th I think we need more of this in the world and um, it's led you to, to birth this work in the world. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, yeah, absolutely. More art uh, that strikes a, 
something we might we might come back to, which is maybe the foundation required for that to land in a different way, because I think that's something that's often overlooked. But um, yeah, so I, I was, you know, I was training, wake up, you know, wake up with the sun, throw the ankle weights on, you know, jog out to the beach, applying the method of breathing and coordination that, uh, that I'd read about, uh, hit the beach, practice Qigong for a while, sprint back, breakfast, several hours of martial arts training, you know, rest for a few hours, and I would repeat it again in the evening. So I took it very seriously, um, you know, even, even to the point of kind of digging a hole and then every day scraping a little bit out of the bottom so that as you get stronger, the weight gets heavier, the hole gets deeper day after day so that it's, it's in, the, the changes are imperceptible, right? But uh, when you say digging a hole, you mean I didn't quite understand to, yeah. to climb out? What, what do you mean by that? Well, so to, to practice leaping in and out of... Uh, yeah, thought, I thought you meant that, right. Yeah, cool. right, exactly. uh, So, you know, you just you scrape a little bit out of the bottom every day so that the, the depth is imperceptible over time and you add a little bit of weight every, you know, two weeks or so. And so I did this for several months. Um, and my, my motivation at the time, I was very... It was very much about me being the best martial artist I could be and hopefully acquiring, you know deeper insights towards self-actualization, being the best type of person I could be. Um, but what was fascinating is after this time, you know, several months of, of doing this, it was, I mean, physically it was extraordinary. And that's one of the reasons that I call it weightlessness is I, I, tr I felt weight, truly weightless. I mean, when I didn't have the weights on, I could wake up at 5 a.m. and I no longer needed to warm up, no longer needed to stretch. Uh, I, my limbs felt light as a feather. I could sprint all out for minutes without feeling winded. It was just, it, it was a trend. It was a truly, you know, from a physical perspective, it was transformational. Uh, and while I don't teach many people the, that side of it anymore, it, it's an extraordinary part of the process, but it went a lot deeper and it went a lot deeper to the point where psychologically, I, I felt liberated. And it was a combination of the structural training, the added weight, and just this process of unburdening that occurs by fighting against imperceptibly greater degrees of stress or greater degrees of weight. Uh, and at the same time, not, not resisting it, not holding on to it, continuously facing that, uh, flowing with that, leading into that. Um, yeah. And so a lot of the, you know, a lot of the experiences, I think that we try to seek through mindfulness practice and other forms of meditation, this, uh, uh, you know, non-attachment, uh, presence, a lot of these things, I felt it in droves. I felt free. I felt empowered. Um, it, it was a, it was a truly a liber it was a liberating experience mentally and physically through and through. Um, and that was one thing, uh, but, you know, floods came, I think in the fall, uh, you know, mid fall and I was forced out there and I went to, um, I think Chiang Mai after that. And what was really impactful about it that I think maybe impacted my future more than just that experience was that after a couple months, the sensations didn't go away. I like, it was just something where I was like this normally when you train, you stop training for a week or for two weeks and. Uh, and you start to regress. You start to realize, well, maybe the cardio is starting to back off a little bit. Maybe the strength is starting to wane, like you're not quite peaked out. Uh, and this was something where I just, one month went by, two months went by and I, I was training, but I wasn't doing the same training. And I was like, this is fundamentally different. Uh, it really has gone, you know, gone, gone deep. Um, yeah. And so uh, therefore weightlessness, kind of this process of unburdening the body and the mind 
Um, what started for me at that time, it was a journey of peak performance, has become really a model of, of uh, personal growth and mind-body integration. And so the bulk of what I do now essentially is reverse engineered and translates some of the foundational principles so that people of all walks of life can use these things and apply them at work, apply them at home, apply them you know, across the board. So. So beautiful. And I want to ask you like, yeah, let's, let's dive into that work and what weightlessness is. You've, you've kind of given us a great sense of that, but what, what struck me was you described how you, uh, and I've forgotten the exact words you use now, but it sounds like you were training to find a point of stress or some kind of edge. And then practicing something that allowed you to expand that sense of where the stress point came in. I, those are my words probably. Yeah. Uh, and what, what struck me before you respond is like, um, that does sound in a way like spiritual practice, meditative practice in that, you know, one of the things we're doing is um, exploring fundamentally who am I on a, on a fundamental level? What, what's perhaps my mistaken sense of self? But I think at some point practice also becomes like noticing when, you know, so through meditation or mindfulness, I might actually access an open, relaxed, unburdened state of, of um, selfless awareness, for example. Yeah. But then it, life comes in and there's a stress point, boom, and it collapses. Yeah. So in yeah. some sense, like spiritual practice becomes like something like what you described that I have to keep noticing where that stress point comes in and when I contract, when I burden myself again, and there's now like, you know, I'm not weightless anymore. So I'm, I'm just kind of fitting what you say in with what I make of it and then seeing what comes up for you. Yeah, you know, so that's a great observation. Uh, and I, uh, I guess I don't often use the word uh, spiritual, but it's it's I think it's accurate to, to uh, I think it's quite accurate that it's it's definitely a phenomenon that exceeds um, well okay what I experienced at that time I would say was a phenomenon that exceeded normal day to day experience and, and any time that I go back there it, it's much more than just physical training much more than psychological or meditative training. Um, but I also don't. I also don't like framing it in too lofty a manner because I really believe that it it's it, it is and ought to be accessible uh, even in even in bite sized pieces. But you know, to address your point, which was a really, um, I think uh, for me it's a critical point. It's something that weight for me weightlessness does that I don't see in a lot of other avenues or methods. Uh, and my objective in life was not to create a model or a method of growth or performance. It was really something that evolved over a combination of my own experience and studies and years and years of coach, trying to coach people through a, a wide range of custom, uh, custom programs and seeing, you know, I'd, I'd had clients for years for meditation, for martial arts, for strength and conditioning. Uh, and at the core, you just start to realize, well, they, these are all we can, we can customize and prescribe very specific things, but the truth is most of us don't really know what we need. We're, we're going on hunches, and the reality is all of us need the same things at the base, right? And so when we start to look at individual differences, that can be a phenomenal way to, to peek out where we are and add a lot of, you know, add a lot of uh, insight or, or, or spice to it. But 
you know, it's like people that too quickly go toward customized diets without understanding maybe a baseline of nutrition, what we all need before we start to look at individual difference. Same thing with physical training. I believe same, same thing with meditation. Um, and, and so this idea about the, uh, the stress factor that you brought up. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, over the, over the years, I worked with a lot of people in meditation and I stopped doing it as, as its own premise, because you just, you start to realize people can, if they're lucky enough to make progress with it, uh, just as it, as it is through general coaching, through kind of introspection on the side, introspection and reflection, and then through conscientious practice, actually trying to release, um, you know, access the present moment more effectively. Like you said, this stuff starts to disappear as soon as your, your stress response is elevated. Uh, and we, we can't, we can't transcend our biology and we've got a fight or flight mechanism that will override your best intentions. Um, you know, great. Let's say that you can unattach. Let's say that you're full of unconditional love for a family member. Um, let's see how you do when they spill coffee on you or, you know, start slinging profanity or you had a horrible day at work or, you know, you name it. And all of these things are, they, they test our threshold. They test our stress threshold in the same way that it might if we have to run 10 miles or do a deadlift. Um, these are not, they're treated, but they're not separate domains. So what, what I can do in the gym will prepare me for the same types of physiological responses that I might feel uh, at a stressful work meeting. But we often frame these as different domains. So we coach people to, okay, you know, how can you, how can you step back from the moment? How can you, how can you shift your perspective? How can you, you know, try to be present without judging, you know, all the stuff that we might try to do through a translation of meditation into performance aspects. If we ignore, if we ignore the reality of our biology, we are, we're, um, it's just, I think it's an impossible, it's an impossible ask. So, hmm. um, but the good news is that we, that's the easiest thing to condition by far. If we are willing to put ourselves in those uh, environments, it's much easier to do physical training than meditation. I mean, meditation is, in my opinion, the hardest practice that we can take on. And I also think it's a lot harder to take and apply if we're not doing any form of physical conditioning uh, or addressing nutri nutrition as the base of, of all these mm. things. So, yeah. There's, there's so much in what you're saying. And um, I think we're, we, we, we could jump into some finer points, sure. uh, but, but I want to, first of all, let's just like for everybody listening, na name again, what, what weightlessness is and, and you know, what your program teaches people to do. And then, cause I think in a way we're talking about that just now, but I want to just put that explicit on the table. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, and as much as I would love to have an elevator uh, pitch for this, I've always failed. But essentially, it's um, the, the programs that I teach are about three months. Weightlessness, I've written a couple books about uh, about it, and it can take and has taken many forms. So it's not like it's it's not like it's just a program. It's really more of a process and it can be implemented in a variety of ways. Uh, the most common way that I implement is what I call the weightlessness process. And it's a three month type of process that looks at, um, on a foundational level, the, the development and interrelation between nutrition, strength and conditioning, flexibility, meditation. Uh, and then it looks at other aspects of translation of 
these tools into uh, what we might call like performance attributes, personal archetypes, like whether or not I'm gritty, whether or not I'm fluid, whether or not I'm able to uh, essentially how I face stress beyond the gym, these kinds of things. Um, so it's pretty enmeshed in, um, it's got philosophical elements to it. Uh, it's got practical, you know, practical coaching elements to it. It's a pretty comprehensive process. But if 10 people take the program, they are likely to, to, to tell 10 different versions of the process uh, because it, there is still a lot of customization to it. Um, and I don't know if this probably doesn't need too much detail, but there are two aspects of weightlessness training. There's lightness training, which is much more akin to what I described in the beginning of the conversation. That was kind of where this all came from. Uh, it took me uh, over 10 years to realize I couldn't teach it to very many people. So I reverse engineered at least the foundational training of that. It was kind of, it's kind of the martial arts without the martial arts or yoga without the dogma. And I call that the weightlessness spectrum. And the weightlessness spectrum really looks at, at um, you know, concrete metrics that allow us to assess you on an individual basis, find uh, those aspects that might be what we call crutches and liabilities, those things that you've learned to rely on that might be holding you back, and those aspects that might be underdeveloped in your mind-body complex, that if we start to cultivate and balance those out, we can then start to have conversations about integration, peak performance, um, in a way that is not, not just elusive or metaphorical, but in, in a way that is truly practical and um, embodied, you know? Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Um, what, what I like is that, um, yeah, like a lot of people talking about peak performance, perhaps. Um, I, I think we're in an era of embodiment, you know? So I, I think Definitely. now, you know, we just before we touched in, we, uh, before we started recording, uh, you know, I, this community is coaches. And I think the era of like two talking heads, you know, um, is Definitely. moving away, you know, we're, we're moving away from that. It's just insufficient in order to create change. But what I really like about what you're talking about is, yeah, I've come at this because I, as you talk about lightness, I recognize so, certain parts of it. Like I, over the years as I've matured developmentally and done more meditative practice and worked on my conditioning, my reactivity, I noticed generally that I become lighter, you know, even my sense of self becomes more and more subtle, you know, Absolutely. so there's a sense of lightness yeah. and then it becomes more shocking when I, bec I use your word burdened. It's like, I, I think I use the word contracted. Like when I contract, I have an argument with my stepson, uh, and then it's like, whoa, you can feel that viscerally in your body, in my sure. body mind. But I, what I like is how you're coming really in initially through the physical, right? Yeah. Like, or. Yeah. Um, or perhaps that, that's a mis, uh, misrepresentation, no, no, but yeah. It's, well, it, it's, it's accurate, but it might also be misinterpreted. Uh, for me, like, I would call weightlessness a mind body art or practice. Uh, and I think that the challenge is that we tend to still, despite using that term, we don't use mind body or mind dash body. We use mind space body. And these are, these are still, even though we talk right. about, about them as, as if they're a unified whole in practice, a lot of people still isolate these things. And so um, I don't think there's any element of physical training that doesn't involve the mind, uh, you know, 
practically, neurologically. And, and I think, as you just said, good luck trying to control your mind without having some awareness or sense of the body. Because as soon as you start to feel frustrated with your son, your body's going to tighten up before your mind is even aware of what's going on. Uh, and, you know, these are, these are deep responses that uh, are very difficult to control. So the simple answer is yes. Uh, we start with, we start with the body. Um, and you know, it very much, it very much follows that track of, if you were to look at like classical, like Shaolin Kung Fu or, or true yoga, old yoga, um, they very much follow this path where they were both spiritual practices. They were both religious practices. Um, at their core, they were both meditative in nature. That was the end game or the, you know, the, the focus. But uh, the analogy of Bodhidharma bringing, um, you know, Buddhism to China and then, and then evolving the five animal forms eventually because monks kept falling asleep during practice, uh, it, it just adds so much insight to this fact that without, without the body being primed, it's very difficult to cultivate the mind in a focused way. Um, and I've seen this over and over and over again to the point where I, for years I did try to coach people through meditation. I wouldn't even consider it today if it wasn't a comprehensive uh, practice or at least had a foundation of physical training. Just because as soon as you get stressed, all the meditation in the world is not really going to show up for you. Yeah, I... I think that, um, uh, yeah, I think I would agree with that. Like, unless you're, you have like a good, a real, a real practice of meditation, which includes, um, awareness of, um, body, uh, reactivity and, um, you know, like can enable you to track in the moment stress responses, then, then yeah. there's going to be a, a, a collapse point. But I, I actually, I agree with you. Like, I think it just, it's just essential for a, some kind of body practice, you know, like whether that's yeah. weight training or martial arts or uh, even sports or yoga or something that, but I actually want to ask you about that. So, so yeah. like, I'm, I'm curious about the, the kind of process. I know you said that people have different stress responses and you mentioned grit and flow and stuff, but, and then you said we help people see where they get stuck, you know? So I'm, I guess I'm curious about how, how you see that journey unfolding. Is it like people come in, they learn about nutrition and um, weight, weight uh, training and flexibility and some meditation. And then they go on this journey, they start doing weight training. What, what do you guide them to start noticing in their experience? Yeah. So that, that's a, uh, it's a good question. Um, again, man, these could take, um, these, these could go very, very, uh, deep and long in the conversation. We've got time for that. So, okay. Um, right. So, um, it's a comprehensive <laughs> process, but to try to break it down, right. So there are in the weight in the, the weightlessness spectrum, which is kind of my diagnostic and prescriptive tool uh, that breaks down what I call, you know, different, different levels um, of meditation, which is odd maybe for a lot of people, but I've got, I've got different, uh, different tools within weightlessness that, yeah, maybe I'll just start with that because I mean, we could, we could do this for each of the pillars, right? But the three pillars that are, are, are modeled in the spectrum are there's uh, strength slash conditioning, uh, flexibility and meditation. But if we do, just take meditation in the spectrum, 
Now in weightlessness, it goes all the way from, we might look at just basic uh, breathing techniques, abdominal breathing, all the way up, you know, through mindful awareness, concentration practices, all the way up to, to Qigong. So it's got a, a quite a big um, spectrum, which I use the term spectrum of development. From my experience, you know, most people will go to a dojo or a temple or find their teacher. And you're very lucky if you get more than, well, sit there and, you know, try not to think or, you know, listen to your environment or focus on your breath or find an anchor, right? You might find a few cues. Uh, and then a month later, you'll have half the students left. And then three months later, you'll have a quarter of the students left. Uh, and it's, it's hit or miss. And so the problem with a lot of, I think, in that domain in particular, is you have a lot of survivorship bias. So you get a few people that have a proclivity for, you know, presence, right? And they make it through and they've learned it in a certain way and they pass on that same model or approach of teaching. But from my experience, and I've worked with dozens of meditative teachers uh, across the board, it's very difficult to find clear metrics that indicate progress in the domain of meditation, which on one hand makes sense because it's a qualitative experience. And on the other hand, what do you do if you just don't have a quality experience? I mean, a lot of people will sit down and they can't stop thinking about groceries and work and problems at home. Uh, and then they try it again and they're told to keep practicing and they can't stop thinking about groceries and work and problems at home. And it just keeps going on. And so, in the weightlessness spectrum, for example, we've got a concentration practice uh, and what I would call an, an awareness practice, two different tools, and they're very simple. The concentration practice is just counting backwards, visualizing the number in the forehead, and progressively working up to higher numbers. We might start at one or 200. Somebody advanced would do an 800 or, an, or a 1,000 count, which is pretty much about 50 minutes or an hour of straight concentration. You make a mistake. You fail for the day. You either start over but to move to the next level, you got to have a consistency in practice over several days. Um, and so that's one element of meditation. Concentration is, is, is core. The other side of it is maybe awareness, right? And we know that we kind of drift between these two aspects of practice where we, we find an anchor and then the mind opens. We find an anchor. We, we, if we need to, we draw back or we just maintain that focal point of the breath or the dantian or whatever it is. And then we allow our mind to take in more data and more information, not just mind, but the body as well, right? Receiving more information, more data, we're receptive, we're open. Uh, but more than a few seconds, the mind has gone somewhere and then you, you repeat the cycle. Where's my anchor? What's going on in my experience? Um, but these two aspects, the awareness and the concentration can be, they can be hacked to a certain extent where we don't need to just rely on good luck and just say, just do more. We can measure well, either you can hit this number or you can't. And in the case of awareness, uh, we, we, slow down the, we slow down the breath count. How, how, what's, your, what's your longest 10 breaths is one of our key assessment tools. Somebody that uh, is kind of starting out would be in the two to five minute range. Somebody intermediate might be in the five to eight minute range. Somebody advanced, I would put over eight to 10 minutes for 10 breaths, meaning your, your breath is, is approximately one breath per minute. Wow. So um, can I ask about that? Because it, it yeah. makes me super curious. So, because when you said awareness, I was thinking of, you know, in meditation, you have like shamatha and vipassana. So, so right. like in a way, like one pointedness and uh, of concentration of mind and then um, insight, you know, so yeah. uh, I, I, how, how much am I actually having direct insight into the nature of my 
phenomenal experience on my mind. And I thought you meant that by awareness. And then, so now you're like saying, oh, but actually as people cultivate awareness, they they can breathe more uh, slowly. Yeah. And I'm curious, Uh, what is that? Great question. Uh, And I do mean what you just described. Uh, Right. uh, But, and this is where it's kind of funny is is that, um, yes, the better you get at meditation, you will notice in a bit, I mean, the, the correlation between meditation, legitimate meditation, truly connecting, non-judgmental perception of the, of the present moment and, and relaxation are correlates. Like you don't really get one without the other. If you're tense, you can't feel. Uh, if you are open, you're going to be more relaxed. The more relaxed you are, the more fluid your breath, the less, phys- you know, the less oxygen you actually need to fuel the basic elements of staying upright off the ground, right? So the, the interesting thing about the practice is it's, a, it's an inverse type of approach where Awareness is a byproduct. You can't really measure awareness without, you know, neural feedback and, and certain types of, of technical diagnostics, but you can actually measure one of the precursors, which is your ability to relax. Uh, and with that, you'll find that, you know, in order, for example, for you to go from a two minute, a 10 breaths in two minutes to 10 breaths in eight minutes, the degree of breath control, relaxation, and, and essentially non-judgment or stillness that you that just they have they have to come to cut they have to come to fruition there, there's just right. there's it's very difficult to hack that type of a process um and so it gives us a way of actually measuring somebody's ability to release tension uh their ability to control the breath uh and within that to down regulate the nervous system to relax uh and you know i mean if we were looking at the the stages of kind of neurological uh, downregulation from beta to alpha to theta. This is also very much a process of relaxation. It's, you're not going to find somebody that's super tense in a state of theta. So if we can, if we can start to release that tension and relax into that process, which it's much easier to do that than just say, sit for 20 minutes and, and pay attention. Uh, but when you say, okay, this is going to take five minutes or it's going to take eight minutes. All of a sudden you start to realize there's, there are moments within moments, right? There's a certain amount of space and now I'm requiring less energy to maintain and, and my, I'm, I'm perceiving more, I'm sensing more, right? One of the things in the martial arts is that, it, it, you know, attention is the enemy of sensitivity, right? So if you wanna, if you wanna, if you're doing locking and controlling techniques or throwing to, I know some of your people I believe practice Aikido, you know, this is one of the, the highest arts along with Tai Chi that, that actually cultivate a very high degree of sensitivity uh, but relaxation is the precursor. Like you have to learn to release tension in the body in order to feel. And that sensation fills the mind with experience and the body with sensation. And, um, you know, these are inextricably linked. And with that, if you want to be sensitive, you have to remove the need for tension in your physical structure, which I, I could bring us back to the, the, the strength and conditioning focus, which is that, we're not just looking at getting stronger. We're actually looking how to build a frame that can resist external load. And if we're, if we're talking about what a body does, all of our bodies are tensegrity structures that have one function. How do we stay up off the ground? Right. And, and, and these aren't solid objects, right? We're not looking at a kind of a, you know, a house is built of compression members of bricks where we stack these up and then we have a, a, a solid structure, but the body is, a combination of, of uh, compression and tension members where 
there is no solid object that keeps the body upright. This is essentially a balance of, uh, of bone and tendon and ligament that finds symmetry. And the more symmetry you have, the better your balance, the less tension required, the less tension required, the more you feel, the more you feel, the, the greater your capacity for presence, right? So in, in a way, these allow you access into meditation if you, you yeah. know, build, build the bases, so. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, I mean what I'm still struck by like, oh, because I recognize the sense of relaxation in meditation to the point where those um, deep sense of stillness in a, in a kind of non-conceptual awareness you know, yeah. and where it even feels like breathing has stopped, you know? Um, but I, but I know it's like, I don't use that metric of how many breaths am I taking in, you know, in uh, a specific amount of time. Uh, but I, but I like that you, you point to that as how that can be, yeah, one of the metrics that we can use to measure the effectiveness of our meditation practice. And, um, and then what I hear is it's like pointing to weightlessness again. Yeah. So there, yeah. there's a like underlying principle, the underlying principle of weightlessness is what you're using to um, measure the effectiveness of the strength training and the meditation and the flexibility. Like the, is that right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's a great point. Uh, I, I want, maybe I'll say one more thing on the, the previous one, because I don't know if I directly answered the question, then I'll come back to this, which is really a central, a central point. Um, but you kind of asked, well, wh what might we do with people? So I had meant to say that we've got, you know, these are a few diagnostic tools for the meditation pillar. Uh, we've got maybe five key diagnostics for strength. You know, we've got the deadlift, a certain, a certain time for kilometer run, very basic what you might find in most conditioning, military, martial arts, very fundamental types of assessments that cannot be hacked. Either the Could you give us one of those assessments? Like, I, yeah. I think it's super useful to, for the learning to, to unlock the principles. Like what one of those assessments might be around the right. deadlift or running or something. Right. So, uh, right. So the assessment, I, I would, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty, I think, a well-rounded test, but it, it, it has three levels to it. I break it down in terms of where somebody's at for each pillar. And we generally say you're as strong as your weakest link, which also helps with the prescription. So you might be at a level three strength, meaning that you might be able to run a kilometer in less than four minutes, followed by a deadlift, deadlifting the equivalent of your body weight for five reps, followed by, give or take the assessment, 100 burpees in eight minutes, uh, followed by uh, 30 proper military-style push-ups, followed by thir uh, 10 deep squats uh, with proper structure, holding 20 kilos for 10 reps with a pause at the bottom. So that's really a, a conversion tool, a structural analysis. Um, but that would be level three. Um, and it's, it's no joke of a test. It's, it, I mean, if you can... Every level that somebody can go up in this process, you're talking about a fundamentally different mind-body. You know, so for people that try to avoid that aspect of it, it's, it's almost miraculous when somebody comes in at level one and they progress from, well, not being on the chart for a lot of these metrics to at least hitting, you know, deadlifting their body weight for a single rep, for a one rep max, uh, and then running a, a kilometer in five minutes uh, from having done much worse 
everything changes. It's, it's not like they just get fitter. Their confidence changes. Their, their ability to apply themselves in meditation changes. Um, their ability to shift and find the space uh, to shift their perspective in the moment changes. Because as we talked about, that's your, your control over your threshold, right? This is not really a, we're not really conscious of our stress threshold, but it's something that dominates our experiences. And if it gets triggered, we get lost, but you, you can decondition that. You can, get, you can get physically stronger through that anyway. Um, so those would be the five primary uh, metrics. And flexibility, we look at um, four to five key stretches, uh, an active leg raise. If somebody's an absolute beginner, we'd look at the forward bend, flat palm forward bend. Uh, we'd look at the hip flexor stretch, the front splits, the center splits. And so these are pass fail, right? There's not a lot going on here, but they're global. They're, they're global stretches that tell you somebody's performance capacity in that, in that range. So we're not looking at individual muscular flexibility. It's like, what can the body do? Let's look at the global range um, and see what we need to unlock. And then the two primary metrics for meditation, which is uh, you know, funny to say, but it's reverse counting and then slow breathing are the primaries. And we would look at whether or not somebody can breathe abdominally is kind of a hit or miss early, very early stages. We need to train that up. Um, and those are the metrics, but that's not all that we train. So somebody's program may contain a few in each of these categories. And then I might supplement with a variety of other factors based on what they tell me about their psychological state, what they tell me about their overall health. Um, if somebody's dominant in one pillar, uh, you know, I get plenty of people, almost all of us are imbalanced. I mean, you know, I'll get people at level three in strength and level one at meditation. I'll get level people at level one, uh, three in meditation and level one in strength. Uh, and sure enough, the places that we all need to grow the most are the ones we don't really want to look, um, look at or approach. And yeah, and that's what a lot of the magic is to be able to have those as key tools and resources gives you targeted insight for, you know, as long as assuming you find actually meaningful metrics that give you information about that person's global performance, it's a game changer. I mean, to be able to say, you know, when somebody comes in and they say, look, I'm really stressed out all the time. I work out all the time. I wouldn't even need to, to test them. But once we do, it's like, okay, how many breaths are you taking and uh, how slow are your, your 10 slowest breaths? And, you know, you'll find people that are super fit that can't, can't last longer than two minutes. And you're like, well, this person is full of tension. They're, you know, a bundle of knots. And it just gives you clear insight. If we're going to have any luck with, you know, reframing things and, and accessing weightless moments, they have to improve their, uh, their threshold in breathing. Mm. So, yeah. And then, you know, to your, to your second point, which is great, uh, which was the, the, weightless, the weightlessness aspects, um, yeah, and stop me at any time. I, I could tend to rant a little bit, but, um, Go ahead. yeah, so we, you know, we tend to look at two factors. And so the, the weightlessness spectrum informs somebody's capacity, right? So there's two factors with this. You might find somebody that just has a natural proclivity for meditation or is a natural athlete. And this happens all the time. Um, but whether or not somebody that's in the process of developing themselves can use what they know or whether the problem is they've got all the theory. I've actually had people in my programs that have said, yeah, yeah, I've learned all this stuff before, but their performance is at level one, right? Within this spectrum. And it's like, well, congratulations. What are you going to do with it? You can't use any of it. You know, it's like, it's like somebody telling you they can ride a bike because they've read a book about riding bikes. 
you know, you try to ride a bike based on a description of riding a bike, it's not possible. And this is the case with a lot of things that we want to do in life. And it's definitely the case with our, our mind, body, machinery and hardware. It's like, this is not stuff that you can have a clean, uh, a, a clean strategy for implementing because a million things can throw it off. So we've got two aspects of this conversation. One is your, your capacity for performance, which is what the weightlessness spectrum measures. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're at level three, all of a sudden you're weightless, you might still be a paranoid, you know, person who's full of, full of fear and anxiety and all these kinds of things and somehow pass the metrics. Uh, it doesn't happen very often. Normally, the metrics alone will get somebody, you know, way, way, down, uh, way down the spectrum there. But, um, but the second factor is then inquiry tools uh, and, and looking at um, inquiry, reflection, introspection, and the, sim the simplest way to, to recap it for now without going into specifics is just how do we acquire a, a common trigger of asking, am I weightless? Because all the training in the world doesn't get you to be there if you're not willing to be present in this moment and find some way of translating all this hardware capacity into a practical, you know, a practical skill in the moment. And there's no way of bypassing that as a choice. Right. We still have to want to be rid of our problems. And I, I still get people I'm running a tribe right now and a couple of people in the tribe uh, that have even been through the tribe before are struggling with things they've struggled with before. And it's stuff that we've talked about. We've got solutions and sometimes we get stuck just because we're more comfortable in our stuckness than we are with change. And we, uh, you know, you got to want, you got to want to be free of it. And I think that that's, that's a perspective issue. Um, yeah. I've, yeah. Got quite a, I've got a lot of questions about what you're saying. Um, so first question I have is you said like that. Yeah. How, how would you, how would someone know if they're weightless in the moment, you know, and maybe that's not quite the right question. Maybe it's, you know, the question needs to be more nuanced, but you know, how would someone know they're becoming weightless? Or how could they even shift into a sense of weightlessness in the moment? You know, of course, there's practice over time, which makes it more and more the fruits of the practice. But yeah, I'll see where yeah. you take that first. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I could, um, you know, on the one hand, I would say that that if we could call a legitimate quality experience that we might describe as weightless is, is one that from my experience and the experience I've seen with my, uh, you know, my, my clients and coaches over the years, it's, it's the type of thing you don't go back from. It's like, it's like a threshold crossing where you experience it a few times and you know, it's the taste of the best chocolate lava cake you've had. It's that feeling of, of unconditional love. It could take a lot of different forms. You know, when you're, when you're unburdened in the moment, it could, be, it could be the sensation of an extraordinary flow state where you are completely liberated and, you know, you're going 110% with all of your faculties engaged. Um, it's hard to limit and define clearly what it is, but we could, we could look at a few markings. And, you know, some of those we might say a sen uh, sensations of presence, real like real presence. Um, I would say that non-attachment, you know, it's probably a better question of when are you not? Because to say, to say when you are, it's when you're talking about holistic experiences, 
and then you put a label on it, you're, you're unintentionally dividing it up and trying to, to make sense of something that I think is irreducibly complex and profound. But I don't know. I would like to have you, I, I'd like to ask you the same, the same yeah. question. I know as yeah. long as you've been practicing it, I don't know. Could you, could you actually say that, you know, for me, it's been after the fact, you know, during it's been over, you know, it's been enlightening and overwhelming. And then after the fact, you say that was, that was rare and special. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you just, yeah. Yeah. I know. I think it's a great question and I want to uh, be careful that I don't, assume you know um i think you're talking about weightlessness in a very well first of all experienced way and um with you know mastery and so i want to make sure i don't say that i have the same thing and yet what i can say is um i like i like that you say like we have to be careful not to put a particular say it's this and that because then it actually excludes the potential for for it to arise perhaps if we start to have a conceptual framework that doesn't right. you know that it, that is is um selective um but i would say that what i've seen in myself is that there are there is a sense of relaxation yeah you know like that's a great i think that's a great metric um uh wholeness i think is an is a great uh great word like um, for me, there's a, a, uh, an experience I have where it's like this, it's like, there's nothing missing right now. Yeah. So that sense Absolutely. of lack. Absolutely. Or the sense of, I need to be somewhere else, like, and then I'll be okay. You know, if I just get that, then I'll be okay. That, that disappears. And yeah. so there, and, and then, you know, it might be colored with a certain quality like love or strength yeah. or what I call gnosis, like, um, where where my, my knowing and my being become one, you know, and I'm speaking from my experience. Yeah. And there's, there's, a, there's a, I, I think weightlessness is a great word for it. It's like, there's a sense of lightness and um, freedom, you know, and so those, yeah. those things I would say, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree a hundred percent. And I think that you, you're doing it uh, with a, you're doing something with a great deal of depth that I think a lot of people miss, which is worth qualifying, um, is that when I'm, I'm using this word, I'm not talking about a sense of arrival or destination with this type of a practice or a process. This is, I tend to use the word a weightless. What we're trying to do is engineer more weightless moments. And it's not like that this is some type of thing where you're a master on a mountaintop that you've, you know, you're, you're done. Uh, which correlates with the other point, how do you know you're weightless? Well, a lot of times ease that we feel in life, uh, <laughs> that's a general statement, but ease we feel with most even crafts. Like let's say you're, you're training in the gym. Um, if you want to feel less burden, lift a heavier weight. And then once you can lift a weight beyond that, then the original weight is easier. It's lighter. It feels, it feels more weightless. Uh, that's a rudimentary application, but it's it's this kind of idea that on, on the one hand, if we find a way to strive against meaningful objectives, or in the case of physical training, um, incremental uh, points of resistance, you tend to feel that in the growth process. Like as you're as you're challenged and find those moments of ease, um, 
I think that, that it's a natural avenue also to experience those types of sensations, right? And we could feel this, we could feel this at work on projects, creative endeavors, uh, you know, breakthroughs when we're doing uh, things of creativity, getting, getting beyond personal points of stuckness or solving problems. And it's a lot of times it's in the aftermath of these challenges that there's, there's a moment of space. Uh, and, and we come, we find those by accident, right? And, and um, I think it was in Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Persig, I think, talked about this point he called, I think he called it stuckness, um, where, you know, you're working on a motorcycle or anything. It's a metaphor, obviously, but you're working on a motorcycle. You're trying to figure out what's wrong. You're solving a problem. You reach that point where you've done every diagnostic um, you know, assessment you can think of, and it's nothing is working. And then all of a sudden you sit back, you stop thinking and in a moment of relaxation or stillness, an idea arises or, you know, an insight pops up. Um, and so the, I think the big question is would that insight have come without the struggle? Um, I don't have a, I don't have a conclusive answer for that. I have my hunches about it, but I think that in that, I think a lot of us miss something that's really critical about our own, growth and performance is that we tend to think that we can have, you know, the gold without the dragon or, you know, more weightless metaphor, maybe the strawberry without the tiger type of thing. Um, and so a lot of times it's just, it's by relative ease, right? It's by contrast that we feel a sense of ease. And then on top of that, um, you know, what, what sets weightlessness aside is it is a holistic process and experience. It's not just where we might feel, wow, I feel open and awake you could be feeling those types of sensations in the body. It can be a, a truly um, liberating, holistic experience while you're running, while you're doing, uh, you know, any other activity, walking down the street and you just feel, you know, it's just, this is different. This is fundamentally different and um, how I normally feel. Yeah. So, yeah. Could, I'd love to ask you about something you said, which is striving. Um, yeah. Because, um, see, like it's not fully formed in my mind, but like th there's a way that I could imagine people could come in and um, push, you know? So, so yeah. in, in, in a way, like there's this sense of what doing the work. Um, and I think this is like leading to a question I still want to ask you. So, Bear with me on this. Like there, there's yeah. like, we're reaching that, that stress point. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're noticing our relationship to reaching that stress point, perhaps, or there's yeah. a certain way we're being with that, which allows us to integrate and move beyond us in some sense. But I, I wonder if, I guess it's psychology. I guess I'm wondering about the psychology of this work because what I've noticed in the clients I work with is often in their efforts to develop is they're struggling with their own experience. There's actually a resistance to their own experience in, in their efforts to develop. Like, so it's, totally. it's like where they come from in their efforts is crucial totally. because often, you know, like I, uh, um, so I, on one level and like if someone's super stressed in their life and they want to be less stressed, I, of course, that's a great thing. But often people have like this sense of, oh, I'm, I'm going to be okay once I get to that place, once I'm weightless, you know, mm. then I'll yeah. be okay. Right. But actually, if you look at that fundamental drive itself, a lot, there's a lot in that, you know, like a lot of um, 
energy can be freed, which can, yeah. can actually, t- I, I think, take someone into a sense of weightlessness that, that you know, otherwise they would have, um, you know, gone on that work, you know, like um, motivated by that desire to be, oh, when I'm in that place, then I'll be okay. But now we've gone straight to looking at, well, what is that in you? When they start to see that and it can relax, mm. suddenly a sense of, there's a sense of freedom. Mm and wholeness and an acceptance of the wholeness that they already are in this moment and that they yeah. don't need to, to get to an imagined place in the future in order to be okay. So I, I, and you know, I like what you're saying about that under pressure, how long does that last? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of what a lot of, I said in that, and I, I'd love to be challenged or to be corrected or, you know, right. or resonated with or whatever. Like, yeah. So I, uh, I, th- I think, I think I get, I think I get you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I really, uh, well, it's a, it's a difficult, I mean, that's a very deep, uh, that's a very deep, uh, observation. And I think, I, I think, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, so I, th- I think that the challenge is at least with the, the, the work that I do. And, and I, well, maybe, maybe I should make sure I understand what you're saying. You're, you're saying that if we were to accept, uh, accept the resistances or obstacles that we might have to face as being necessary uh, and, and we're working to overcome them, and I understand what you're saying, that we don't need to prolong payoff and say that weightlessness is down the road. It's absolutely, there's no reason we can't ask that today. Uh, when I talk about the weightlessness process, what we're talking about is a, it's a probability curve, right? So the, the, the longer, uh, the longer one trains and the more conscientious is uh, one is in their training, the higher probability is that they have control over that type of momentary experience. They have the ability to regulate their nervous system under pressure, control their breath, reduce the need for tension, reduce the need for oxygen, the ability to shift perspective and non-attach in the moment. All of these are elements of, uh, of, you know, truly present experience. But to get there, obviously, there's that paradox where, okay, well, to develop though, I'm actually, I'm going the, I'm going the wrong way. I'm creating tension in order to be rid of it. I'm adding weight to feel lighter, right? There's this internal paradox. Um, and, uh, is that kind of what you were going yeah. to? Yeah. For? yeah. Okay. Yeah. So from my, from my experience, and this is the challenge, and that's why I've got, there are two fundamentally different training modules in weightlessness, and, and most people don't get to the second. Um, but just to mention it for the sake of, of contrast, uh, within the weightlessness spectrum versus lightness, I've got what's called the Tao of weightlessness. And I think everybody, I'm sure that, that your listeners um, are familiar with Taoism or at least the sim- symbology of it, but you've got your yin yang, uh, you know, light versus dark type of thing. But we've got these two aspects and in the Tao of weightlessness, um, we've got on one side, I call a weightless today and on the other side, an awesome tomorrow. And it's this contrast between the, between what we need to do for payoff in the future versus a quality moment in the now. Right. And we might look at two types of personas. We might look at a lawyer who sacrifices, you know, 10, 15 years of hardcore education and sacrifice to be able to, to see that payoff financial or otherwise in the future. But in the moment, they might be sacrificing a lot of present moments that maybe would have been qualitatively different. 
And then we might take a hippie or, you know, somebody that is living in the now and all about that free love and not really worried about tomorrow that is just seeking more quality moments, weightless moments today. And that's all that they're doing. The challenge is that either one of these, you know, the lawyer that sacrifices 10 or 20 years may not survive 20 years. I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a, a bet on life, right? And the question is how, how many moments do we really want to sacrifice for that kind of payoff? And is it possible we have both along the way? Maybe we can cultivate the ability to have more weightless moments in the pursuit of any other personal ambition. On the other hand, if we take the hippie who's all about the now, well, you don't get very many now moments and weightless moments uh, if you go broke, you know, if the car breaks down, if you get evicted, if you don't have a job. And, and so there needs to be some form of balance where we say, well, Preparation for tomorrow means certain elements, sacrifices, discomforts today. Mm. But quality moments worth living for are not consumed by tomorrow or yesterday or even just my ruminating on my many thoughts and desires and, and ideas. It's really something f- uh, fundamentally different, you know, perceptually and, and neurologically. So um, the Tao of weightlessness is essentially an organizing framework that says, look, it's not for me to tell you who you should be or what you should do. It's to say, it's quite likely we need both. We need, we need some form of, of preparation for tomorrow and we need some elements of quality life worth living for. And what weightlessness does is it focuses on the prime movers of each of these aspects. The more that I'm willing, you know, in investment, they say that the person who's willing to prolong payoff the longest usually winds up with the greatest you know, the greatest payoff or the best outcome in the future because you're able to reinvest and not take too much money out and do this kind of thing. Well, in, in the world of personal development, that means how much, how much stress are you willing to take on today? Because if you really want to be resilient and free tomorrow, you got to be a badass. I mean, you, you've got to get beyond some of the stuff that is holding you back, the fears and, and the insecurities. And this stuff doesn't happen. It doesn't happen through uh, analysis alone or through meditation alone, this is, this is stuff that you have to confront that's awfully deep. And in a lot of cases, it's neurologically hardwired and programmed, and it takes a lot of work to undo. And then the other side is sensitivity. So stress for an awesome tomorrow, sensitivity for a weightless today, the more sensitive we become, this is through the slow breathing, mindful awareness, standing meditation is the core exercise within the process, but that's what integrates body and mind is our standing meditation practice. But becoming more sensitive allows you to receive the moment, more data without superimposing your own agenda on it, right? So this is long-winded, but the whole point is in the weightlessness spectrum, these are fractured values, right? We, it's very difficult if I'm under pressure to have a qualitative moment. If you take a, a fighter like Conor McGregor, he's trained enough to remain sensitive and alert and aware in the heat of battle. If you were to take somebody without any prior training and conditioning and put them into a cage fight, that person is a mess. I mean, there is no ability for that person to be aware in any way, shape or form. And most of us are not in cage fights, but we're in degrees of that type of thing, you know, somewhere between not getting our way or somebody honking at us on, you know, in the car on the way to work and a cage fight. It's, it's somewhere along that spectrum. And the more stress that we can take on, the better off we are. But the expectation to have both now, I don't think is reasonable without a lot of training because it doesn't take much to take that out of somebody. Mm. But now if we can get further along and somebody actually starts to train and get to a high level of 
of capacity for performance and strength, meditation, flexibility, in lightness training is where we start to look at the merging of these two. Within your stress, are you aware? Are you weightless while you are running and deadlifting? You know, and then we start to look at the merging of these two categories and say, well, there's no reason you can't be in the shit at work or in the shit uh, with problems at home and not also maintain that state of awareness. You're, you're primed for it now. You can actually do that. And there's no reason you can't, you know, and this is where we, you know, as you mentioned, the, the spirituality of the practice starts to come in because all of a sudden these, you know, they're, they're these polar aspects of perception. They're really a perception of time, right? Of payoff in certain levels of time. Do I value now? Or do I value tomorrow? But when we start to cultivate this, these are no longer paradoxical or contradictory. We can actually begin to experience them in the moment, if that makes it, sense. It, it makes me think of, so, 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 so first of all, I, I think I'm like, oh, I, I feel for more on the spectrum of the, of the hippie. Yeah? Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm pretty, uh, if I think about my own practice, if I assess, you know, I'm like, yeah. Um, pretty, pretty happy with it on a lot of levels, dedicated, you know, testing my own practice and realizations and so on. But I'm like, okay, right. yeah, if I'm honest, definitely need more work. Like I, I'm lacking in, in some aspects. I think like physio physiologically, there could be a real benefit from, um, yeah, some of th those, those physiological practices, you know, to bring to, bring a sense of balance you know so that in stress situations my physiology doesn't overtake me as much and um so that's one thing that comes up and then um it it makes me think of like relative and absolute practice so in my own meditation it's like the you can practice relatively so like i'm going to practice so that one day i really reap the rewards the fruits of my practice but then you know, that you can practice absolutely. So you practice from the recognition of yeah. you know, awakened mind, absolutely. knowing that, yeah, that, that that's a very different place to practice from. And then you can do, you know, you can still practice over time and cultivate more and more access to that. And so I, so I hear echoes of that in what you say. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm in the now I'm practicing my sensitivity, you know, my, my sensitivity is here and increasing and I'm, you know, I'm prepared to, um, you know, well, I can't remember the words you use, but I'm prepared to like, um, prolong, uh, so put it, put in the work basically. So that yeah. over time it increases. And so, um, yeah. yeah, no. And so I, I, and I think that, um, it, it's like I wonder about the the situation we find ourselves in. In some ways, is is a bit like the um, being in the gym, you know, with the coronavirus. Uh, there, are, there are like, what do you think about this? Like, there are many points in people's lives of potential stress. You know, I'm thinking yeah. of that analogy of weightlifting. Yeah. But, you know, people find the financial insecurity around coronavirus, the loss of loved ones, the uncertainty, the complexity of the world. And so it seems like we're in, we're in a kind of dojo right now as well. I wonder what, 
yeah, yeah, maybe there's a question in there, what you think and what advice you might offer to people in these times. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's difficult to go there and, and not and not risk sounding, um, you know, unsympathetic uh, toward a lot of people are really struggling right now. Um, and I don't think there is any one magic bullet for the complexities that we're facing right now. Um, but, you know, I wrote, I wrote um, kind of one, a newsletter, what was it, maybe six months ago around the time of uh, probably at the onset of the coronavirus. And I, I, I saw it coming because I was actually in China during SARS-1 back in 2003. Uh, for me, the writing was on the wall and I knew it in January how bad this was going to get. Um, and I, you know, tried to tell people I knew and warn people. And um, I think in a lot of ways, uh, weightlessness training is built for this type of environment, which is to, con is to condition us to weather the storm and at the same time taste life and not not let those moments pass us by you know like as hard as it might be it's still really valuable to find meaningful moments with people that we care about and find hope for the future and you know you know stewing and negativity and and bad thoughts this is not just a psychological issue um, it's something that can energetically shift very quickly through movement and through exercise and it's also something that can shift by realizing that we're not made of glass, right? And so when we're willing to test ourselves a little bit, even in those simple moments where you've pushed yourself, even when it's hard, there's just, there's space, you know, there, there's space to see things slightly differently. But if we, if we flee that confrontation and we're not willing to face the stress and the, uh, um, it's devastating. I mean, you know, I think, I think, if anybody didn't struggle with mental uh, health and if not illness this year, uh, I think it would be a miracle. I mean, it's just one of those times. And so when we're looking at the probability of doing better, I mean, obviously if finances come up, I think all of us need to take some time uh, and try to formulate some financial awareness, investment, investment planning. Um, you know, I don't know what there is that's reliable or predictable in the work environment anymore. I think that that, that puts a lot of pressure on all of us to try to find our way. But the question is, while we're doing that, how do we, how do we maintain a positive outlook? How do we maintain optimism? How do we not let the stress eat us alive? How do we not get sick from the stress and get diseased from the stress? Uh, how do we not flee toward comfort foods that make us deteriorate and attack our guts and screw up our, you know, our chemical, our chemical balance. And a lot of these things, some of them are very simple tools, you know, but, man, they carry a lot of weight, you know, for example, um, one of the first things I'll ask people, like if somebody can't meditate, the first question I ask them is not psychological. It's, well, what's your diet like? I mean, if we think that we're going to fix the way that our minds operate without understanding that a large amount of what's going on in the head comes from our gut, uh, and that if we're eating too much sugar and if we're not getting fed well enough, you're not going to have the right chemical cocktail in the mind to be able to see clearly. It's just not going to happen. Uh, not to mention the energy, you know, the energy shifts. I mean, it's got to be a foundation. So one of the first things that people could do, um, audit your diet. And it sounds simple and nobody wants to hear it, but you know, you might need to cut back on the alcohol. You might need to cut back on the coffee. You might need to check if you're snacking too much during the day and you might not always need to cut those things out, 
but you need to make sure that you're getting things that add value, right? A lot of times we, we focus on punishing ourselves and removing stuff that, that we really like. Sometimes that's absolutely necessary, but a lot of times if we just focus on adding good, it, it, that, that does miracles too. Make sure that you're trying to get a balanced meal, get your vegetables in, get some lean meats if you're not a vegetarian. If you are, make sure you're getting a balanced uh, you know, set of kind of uh, grains and nuts and, and, and stuff that gives you a, well, a well-rounded um, you know, chemical uh, combo. Um, but you, know, you even mentioned for your case, like, um, yeah, I know we're, we're going a while here. This is a really important point though. So, and I think it'll add We've insight. Got no, no rush, yeah. Okay. So I talk about the, one of the reasons that I talk about a spectrum. Um, and this, this came to me, I studied philosophy in college. That's what my degree was in. And it, there, were, there were a few things that really stuck with me for a long period of time. And there was a phrase that Gandhi used about nonviolent resistance. And, you know, me being both a martial artist and somebody that was really, I was deeply into meditation at the time, putting a lot of time into it and trying to find this internal balance between, you know, the warrior and the pacifist, uh, finding some form of balance that would, that would make sense of what I was trying to, trying to cultivate myself. Uh, and Gandhi had said something that really stuck with me, which was that, you know, the context at the time where he was trying to uh, educate people in nonviolent resistance uh, during the uh, British oppression in India, he essentially built an army of nonviolent protesters. And if you ever look at the videos or the images, this would mean people that he would train would essentially line up and kneel in front of British soldiers and get their heads bashed in, uh, in, in multiple occasions. And they would let their bodies be the example for the nation. I mean, it was, it's really moving when you kind of see what was going on behind the scenes and what they were trying to do and teach people that in, at least they believed, uh, you don't fight violence with violence. It needs to be love. But he also said, if somebody isn't strong enough to lay down their life for justice or for love, they must fight. And people like overlooked this. And I always thought this was a really insightful point because a lot of times when we discuss morality and when we discuss things that, you know, personal growth, we, it's black and white. This is good. That's bad. And what he was talking about was a spectrum of development. He was saying, this is good, but you might not be able to do this right now. And we need to look at gradations of personal growth. The first thing is that you are not a victim because you are weak, right? That you are not exploited or beaten because you are weak. And if that's the case, you are better off getting strong and fighting than you are being abused uh, and oppressed. But if you are strong enough to fight, and you can control yourself, then the next best virtue is to sacrifice yourself for the good and not to be violent, right? And this is really interesting, but it, it's, it's not just about the thing, but it's speaking to where people are in this process. And so in the weightlessness spectrum, what I, what I, tr I try to tell people is like, look, I can't tell you how much training you'll ever need to experience more weightless moments. Some people might be there and might not need, need an ounce of training, and some people might need an extraordinary amount of training to be able to get there. But a way to look at it is how much stress is in your life. And if you don't have a lot of stress, if you're hanging out with your friends and you got afternoon drinks and, you know, maybe, maybe there's, you know, you're not too worried about finances, you might be at level one on the spectrum, 
and you may be chilling. You may be the happy hippie with no worries in the world, right? But if we start to move to the other side of that spectrum, or from your perspective, moving to the right side of the spectrum, if you're an entrepreneur, if you are somebody who, well, most of us this year, where look, fallout, the fallout from a year like this is real. Disease is real. Economic fallout is real. These things are not going to get better in the next six months. The more stress that we add onto that plate, the more training we need to be able to rise above it. Uh, and I think that this is a critical point. And nobody can tell you how that is. It's, again, it's a probability discussion, right? So, um, you know, there's also that quote by the Dalai Lama, which is that everybody needs 20 minutes of meditation a day unless they're busy and then they need an hour, hmm. right? And that's a great quote, but underneath that premise, he's talking about your stress threshold, right? He's saying, yeah, the more that you have on your plate, the more preparation and training you need. And so this is really a volatility conversation. How much volatility do you face? How much stress do you face? Um, and if... And if we're talking about pandemic, economic fallout, personal insecurity, mental instability, all these factors, there's no way we have this conversation without looking at a spectrum of growth that says, how do I increase the probability of making it through? And for me, that starts with a hardware conversation, right? The mind-body hardware, nutrition, strength, meditation, if that's in place, we look at that next layer, which is financial or community or creative problem solving that finds a way to weather the storm uh, until it passes, you know? Hmm. Um, but I think we got to look at hardware before we look at software. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, I, I just think it's uh, of crucial importance, this idea of weightlessness uh, and, and what you're talking about today that there are, yeah, there, there's the, the sort of implications of the world we're in right now and who we are in that world. You know, like in some ways the music stopped and the cupboards are bare for a lot of people. There's um, chronic stress. Yeah. Uh, people are, are disconnected from their bodies. They're um, live, living in a chronically stressed state. And so um, I, it, it just seems like the, the, there's this kind of, yeah, like dojo, like atmosphere where we are being required to, you know, in order to, to actually meet the complexity and uncertainty of these times to do this deep work that you're talking about, you know, so yeah. that we can actually remain centered and present and creative and responsive, you know, and, yeah. and therefore as a species, how can we then navigate through these times and I think uh, just one last thing, which is like, and, you know, if you're a spiritual practitioner, like a lot of people are dedicated to their own awakening, you know, this, this kind of continuum of like stress to weightlessness, I'm just making this up now, like, but yeah. um, is of fundamental importance in that journey anyway, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh. yeah absolutely. Um yeah, uh, I, I forget the way that you just phrased something, but it, it, it did trigger a, a thought, uh, which is that, and maybe to add one tip to, to, to listeners, um, a, a lot of the, you know, you talked about human race or a species or something like this. It is important that we look at, at where we came from and have some understanding of how we've evolved over time to be able to weather certain types of stress. And a lot of people mistake um, fitness for exercise. 
this is a big problem and it's a, it's a big misconception. And we were not hardwired and we did not evolve to go into a gym and to do three sets of 12 repetitions of certain exercises. We evolved to hunt, to fully exhaust our storages, and then to adapt and grow from that experience. Uh, and it was always gross motor movements. It was power movements. It was things that we had to, you know, the types of stuff that a lot of people consume themselves with today. Yes, you will burn calories and you will probably improve your cardiovascular conditioning. But when we're talking about the types of stresses and pressures, like you mentioned, you have to learn to hunt again. Uh, and I think this is a really critical point, both psychologically and physiologically. And there is a big difference. When you take somebody that is used to jogging and you say, now you're doing a hundred meter dash and they've never, and if they haven't done it in their adult life or they just have never done it, the transition in that person is not small. You see massive shifts. And so, you know, you mentioned that you, you tend to be on uh, more of the hippie domain, which is awesome. Most of my friends are, I think that we gotta, we gotta love it and, and uh, enjoy that side of life. Um, but if we were to look at the other side, I would just, I would also recommend people don't, don't just go and exercise, find a meaning, meaningful metrics and just learn a skill. It's really important. And the two, two of the biggest ones, as long as you don't have injuries or issues, some of the best money or time you could ever spend, learn to deadlift. It's the single most intense exercise and point of exertion possible for the human body. It develops the structure you need to stay upright. If we're talking about physical weightlessness, it actually is mo the most direct correlation to building the musculature and the anti-gravity lift in the body to remove that kind of tension when the weight's gone. Uh, it applies the greatest amount of stress, works the most amount of muscles in the body, strengthens tendons and ligaments. It's a powerhouse, right? And a lot of people avoid it and don't want to do it, but it's worth the education, learn it online, hire a trainer, do what you got to do. The other one is if you jog, if you move, if you run, you do a little bit of high intensity work, add the sprints. If you're on the bicycle, add the one minute ballistic sprints and learn to hunt again. Put it in the mind. You know, there's a, there's a gun to the head for one minute. Somebody you love is in danger. Do it. Fight, fight for something. And those little points of struggle, as soon as you turn that switch on, I mean, we are built for, we are built for power. It's in our DNA, all of us. And a lot of us get weak because we deny that point of stress. And I've seen it time and time again where I've put people under that kind of pressure that had no idea. And it's amazing what can come out. Uh, I mean everything and confidence shifts and the will to fight shifts. You know, we talk about wanting to make it through a pandemic and wanting to make it through economic fallout. There needs to be a fighter in there and a will and a will to keep going and a will to explore life and take chances, you know? And, um, yeah. Mm, nice. Nice. That's great. Well, um, I think that's a great point to just ask you a little bit more about the program itself in terms of, you know, um, where can we find out more about your work and how can people train with you and, and so on? What's involved? Yeah. Sure. Um, well, the easy access, I've got a couple of books, uh, three, four, if you count the children's book, but a couple of them are on weightlessness. Um, and the first one in pursuit of weightlessness is a great, yeah, it's a great intro to kind of the, the philosophy and spirit of what's going on. It's got a lot of personal stories that my understanding of weightlessness evolved out of with, uh, with very targeted specific kind of foundational advice across all of the pillars that I just mentioned. So 
um, you know, that's, that's an easy uh, access point. Um, the program, uh, we've got information at weightlessness.co uh, is where the program is listed. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of details there about the program structure. We've got testimonials. Um, what else? We have a primer. We, we actually have a, a remote version that's, that's for people that might not feel like they're ready or able to, to commit to a, uh, an, an intensive three-month process. That's a one-month primer. It's built for that that looks at the foundations of strength, nutrition, flexibility, and meditation so that in essentially in one month, somebody can gather the foundations. Uh, let's say the prime movers of each of these pillars so that they can learn a non-dogmatic form of a baseline structural and, and meditative development. And that's what that's geared toward. And all that stuff can be accessed through the website. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm inspired after our conversation today, Tom. I just want to thank you for being generous with your time and, and oh, having pleasure. this conversation with me. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate your, uh, your thoughtful questions and your depth of, um, this is not easy stuff to talk about, but you make it very easy when you come with your uh, perspective and background. So I, I really appreciate that too. Thank you. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well and I'll see you again next time.